in our verse-by-verse study in the book of James. And uh, we've been looking at the, uh, the picture of a group of Christians who were oppressed and opposed. They were very poor. They were being oppressed by the rich. We saw that in the first part of chapter 5. And then, incredibly, James gives them three exhortations, three commands that grow out of their experience as those who are growing in Christ. And with each command, he gives an illustration of what it looks like. And so for the next several weeks, the Lord willing, we're going to be looking at three different pictures of patience, each one with a little bit different view, a little bit different nuance of this thing that we are commanded to do, and yet it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, this thing called patience. So we will read the entire passage from verse 7 to verse 11. Listen to it and listen to the three different pictures, and today we will consider the first one about the farmer. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Here's the first illustration. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Second illustration of patience. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Third illustration, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Father, we give you thanks. We give you glory. We give you honor. And as we come on this day to thank you for and celebrate our earthly fathers, Lord, we thank you that in you we have the perfect Father as our example as dads, but also the one to whom we look in our salvation. So we are grateful for that. And Lord, we know that as a loving Father, you tell us exactly what we need to know from the Scriptures, and indeed you have done that throughout the book of James. And so we come today to look at this uh, first illustration of patience that you give us. We ask you to give us wisdom and insight, O Lord, that you would open our minds to receive your word into our hearts implanted. And I pray that as a result of being here today and a result of worshiping you, that no one would leave unsure of his or her salvation No one would leave today unsure of the fact that you are doing a work in each one of us. So we thank you, praise you. We look to you now for what we need in this hour. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
There is an old saying that the Christian life is not a 100-yard dash. It's a marathon. And our brother in Christ, James, wants us to continue in the race that is before us, to not give up, to not bail out. And to do that, as we saw last week, we must keep our eyes on eternity. We must be convinced that the Lord is coming, again, as we said last week, with His reward. And when He comes, He is going to make all things right. So, keep your eye on that as you run your race. This is the theme of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, for example, echoes with these words when he writes his final words. These are the last two letters that he wrote to encourage the young pastor Timothy. Remember, Paul was in chains. He was in prison. And what is significant to me as a pastor is that Paul did not report on how many he had won to Christ, how many churches he had planted, or how the evangelistic campaigns had gone that he had conducted. He simply said these words to young Timothy. And I want you to look at this, and the, the, the Greek is very, very insightful. He said, fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. The, the word in the Greek translated for fight is the word agonizo. We get our word agonize in the verb and agony in the noun. And so essentially what what Paul was saying to young Timothy and to all of us, I want you to fight the good fight, to agonize the good agony of the faith. That means it's not always a joy ride as we hammer out what it means to follow Christ. And then he said this, at the end of his life, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have agonized the good agony. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he went on to say this, I just said to you a moment ago, he had his eyes fastened on eternity when he said, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of of righteousness, one of the five crowns mentioned in the New Testament, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. That's why we look seriously at the words of James when he says, Live your life now in patience, waiting on the return of the Lord. Now, James doesn't just tell you to be patient. I shared with you a while back that James, and I didn't know this till I started studying, but James is a master illustrator. And so he doesn't just say, be patient. Again, that is a fruit of the Spirit, if we're filled with the Spirit, and it's something that we are commanded to do. But he gives three pictures that give us deep insight Three pictures from real life that these people would have understood. He gives us patience in the picture of a farmer. He gives us patience in the picture of the prophets from old. And he gives us patience in the picture of Job from the Old Testament. So we're just going to take the first one today. 
last week when I knew that I was getting into this, I went ahead and got the notes ready, but I knew that this most likely would break down into three individual sermons. And so here we're, we're going with this one. Simple but profound. Basic, basically, here's what James is saying. Be patient. Like a farmer is patient. And by the way, if you have your notes, I want you to write these words out beside where it says be patient like a farmer. It says patiently waiting for the harvest. Here was James' message from the illustration of a farmer. Keep working. Write out those words. Keep working. Now those people knew the illustration of a farmer. They had to depend upon God's provision. It wasn't like that when they were in Egypt. See, in Egypt, farming was done differently than in than Israel. In Egypt, they had the Nile River, and so what they'd do is plow ditches, and they would go between the rows, and you know what they would do, the same thing that a lot of people do here. They would irrigate because they had that supply readily available. So all they did was plant, do their ditches, and then when they were ready to water, they just kicked the clods out of the way and the water would go down and it would water the crops. But God's people in Israel were not to do that. They were to depend upon God himself. Now, let me put a parenthesis in here. According to their faithfulness as God's covenant people, but they, as farmers, were to always look to God and depend upon Him to, to meet the needs that they could not control. Does that sound like an earlier theme that we considered in chapter 4? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a town. The same thing here. We never presume. We always, like the farmer, We depend on God to supply what we cannot control. We can't control the rains as farmers. Okay? They were dependent upon the early rains and the late rains. So, as a farmer does, you trust God with what you can't control while at the same time, listen to this, just like a farmer, you keep on honoring God with what you can control. Are you following me? You can't control the rains. You can't control those providential circumstances. But my friend, in keeping patient, you keep on working just like a farmer does every day. Now, I'm not a farmer. But from what I've understood from my dad who grew up on a farm and in talking with farmers... Farming is hard work. And you've got to keep after it every day. You've got to get the weeds out. You've got to be pruning. You've got to be doing all of those things. And so in that meantime, you are patiently waiting on God to give the rains and someday ultimately to produce the fruit, to produce the harvest. In other words, waiting on God, listen, being patient like a farmer never means that we are passive or that we are inactive. Like a farmer, if you're going to be patient, 
the way God wants you to, you're going to have to be working every day. You have chores or you have duties to do and you do them. This could be one of the most important lessons. Students, everybody, from the youngest to the oldest, this could be one of the most important lessons that you and I can learn about the Christian life. Let me put it like this. Learn to plod. P-L-O-D, not P-L-O-T. Don't learn to plot. Learn to to plod years ago, one of my favorite authors who went home just recently to be with the Lord, Dr. Warren Wearsby, he wrote a little book, and I've looked for it in my library. I can't find it. I must have loaned it out and forgotten who I loaned it to. But he wrote this incredible little book entitled, In Praise of Plodders. And in the book, he, he tells where that name, that, that word comes from. Just like a lot of words in our English language, it comes from something. It comes from an old Middle English word that means puddle. The Danish have a similar word that means mud. So what is a plodder, P-L-O-D-D-E-R? A plodder is someone who is willing to get his feet wet and wade through the water and the mud to get to his destination. We've all heard sayings like these. When the going gets tough... uh, Okay, I was waiting for that. I was figuring one of you ladies would say that. The tough go shopping. No. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Here are a couple of other sayings that I've jotted down. Most of, listen to this, most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. Here's another one. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Here's another, a great one, a short one, but a great one. We must meet the challenge rather than wishing it was not before us. Let's play Jeopardy. See if you guys can win, get on that winning streak. I'm going to give you the answer, and you give me the question. Although he had only an elementary education, by the time he was in his teens, he could read the Bible in six languages. He later became professor of Oriental languages at Fort William College in Calcutta, India, and his printing company provided scripture in over 40 languages and dialects for more than 300 million people? The answer is, who is William Carey? 
the father of modern missions. Now, what is is so interesting, so fascinating about him, at the end of his life, he told one of his aides this. He said, if after my removal, anyone should think it worthy to write about my life, give me credit for being a plotter. I can plod. That is my only genius. I can persevere in any pursuit. To this, I owe everything. Do you know why that is such a challenge to us? Do you understand how we have been affected by our culture? You and I live in an age of fast foods, instant information, and Amazon Prime. The quick fix is king in virtually every arena of life. Now, I'm here to tell you that not all of that is bad. For one thing, and I frequent this place so I know, I'm glad that Chick-fil-A has streamlined its drive-through ordering to an art and a science. And if you don't have grandkids, you don't know what I'm talking about. You can drive up to any Chick-fil-A and you look at the line and you think, oh my heavens, what have I done? But within, within 10 minutes, you're through the line and you've got your food and they have said at the end, my pleasure. And I'm glad for some of the, the things that are available. A while back, my radio on my old Forerunner gave out. Well, I priced what it would be to take it in and get it fixed. And I thought, I can do better than that. This, this is about the information age. And so I got on eBay. I bought a used radio that was still working. Got it to my house in a couple of days. Looked on YouTube for a video to show me how to disassemble the whole front dash. Took it out, put the radio back in, and got it back together with no bolts left over. Man, but there's also a downside to this. In our church life, in this culture, bigger and flashier seem to rule the day. Social media has convinced us that attention and image is everything. And you just mark my words, if you do something that you think is admirable, that is good, and you don't get any likes, does that deed count for nothing? In the Western church, as I said just a second ago, we tend to idolize those who have the biggest platforms, the biggest churches, the best conference spots, the most downloaded podcasts. Now, folks, don't you hear me wrong I am glad that 
God makes redwood tree churches, and I'm glad that God makes apple tree-sized churches. The key is not for an apple tree church to be like a redwood tree church. The key is to be healthy and to reproduce in kind. So we're not talking against that, but that seems to be something that we have idolized. And in our individual Christian lives, we search for the spiritual quick fix, the discipleship magic bullet, the maturity easy-to-swallow pill, anything that will help us to skip the hard work the discipline, the plodding. And maybe to illustrate patience, that's why James gives those beleaguered Christians and he gives us the picture of a farmer because we have work to do every day. We have to wait on God to do His work and at the same time, be faithful to do our work. I'm going to use a word that in some circles is, is a word that is frowned on. It's spelled D-U-T-Y, and it's pronounced duty. That's a bad word in some circles. And I really believe I I really do. I really believe that some of the Lord's best rewards are going to go to simple Christians whose lives are seen as primarily boring and mundane by the rest of the world. The plotters, like most of you, who live in the mundane moments and who don't think that the word duty is a bad word. I saw this poem this last week, and it made me, me think of, of you. I was going to say so many of you. It made me think of you. You don't get the billing. You're plotting. A plotting pilgrim, heading homeward, looking to Jesus, but at times distracted, rejoicing often, but not always, trusting daily, but doubting often, growing weary, but never quitting. You've been there? Me too. And I'm glad that this church is full of plodders, who work hard at the job that God has given you to do. You are faithful to love your spouse, at least to try to, and to serve and to lead your family. You faithfully attend church, and you quietly serve, and you quietly give. You practice hospitality, and you pray in secret. Say a word to the dads. I said this in 
our ABF class today, I had the privilege of teaching. I love teaching in ABF. Share that responsibility with a couple of other guys. But I told the guys today in the class, I said, you know, over the years on Father's Day, I've had dads come up to me and say, why? Why, Marty? On Mother's Day, we hear these wonderful, glowing words about moms, and then we come to Father's Day, and some of you are smiling because you've thought it too, and we just get beat up. I said this morning, I was more graphic, I said we get the snot beat out of us. On Sunday, on Father's Day. I want you dads and granddads to be encouraged. I'm going to call my dad today. And I'm going to wish him a happy Father's Day. And he was not the perfect dad. But he loved me. And he provided for me. And I'm talking about my whole family as best he could. And he tried his best to teach me right from wrong. And he had me in church back then every Sunday morning. And that included Sunday school. Every Sunday night. And that included training union. Anybody remember that? And that included Wednesday night. He did his best. And I'm going to call him and I'm going to say thank you. Am I going to point out his imperfections as a dad? Not on your life. Thank him for being the dad that he was. You know, no books are going to be written about him. No books are probably going to be written about you. Nobody sees these things of you being faithful. But I'm going to tell you this, that God sees them. The thing is that you simply do what you are commanded without fuss or pomp or circumstance or even likes. Now, in case some of you don't know what I'm talking about, ask our students about that. Like a farmer, we are dependent upon God, labor faithfully, and wait for the precious fruit of hearing the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's an old story. Some of you might have heard it. A missionary couple, this has been years ago, returning by boat from overseas missionary service, and they had poured their life out for the cause of Christ in a faraway and very, very difficult place. The boat that they were returning on also had somebody else returning, Theodore Roosevelt, the president. And he had gone to Africa on a hunting expedition and was returning. And so when the the ship got into dock, there were this huge crowd and a band welcoming President Roosevelt back. And, And that's good. That's as it should be. But the missionary couple slipped out and on their way to a little seedy hotel, all they could afford, the wife turned to her husband with, with a note of bitterness. And she said, all these years we labored we struggled we sacrificed now we're coming home and we get no recognition and the husband simply turned to his wife 
and said, Honey, just remember, we're not home yet. Students, last week you had an incredible week, didn't you? And one of the things that I've, I've picked up on, the serving and all of those things I mentioned last week, that's one thing that builds resilience. Well, one thing that I heard was a very, very special time, your times of worship. And how that you, you, you connected with God during those times of worship. For some of you, it was a spiritual, emotional high. Now, I want you to receive this word of exhortation because through the years, I have seen this happen over and over again. The ultimate test of faith is not how loudly you praise God in happy times, but how deeply you trust Him in Kicker said this a minute ago. I thought, did you get my notes earlier? How deeply you trust him in dark times. Students, adults, but, but I'm speaking to the students because so many times that emotional high can just be gone in an instant. Learn to plod You did it this morning when you got up and you came to church. Learn to plot in the face of trials. You'll have them. This may be for some of the adults too. Please, I plead with you, get off your electronics long enough to at least open God's Word and be as concerned about learning a, a new level of of walk with the Lord as you are with a new level or tier of Fortnite. Guys, serve your family. By the way, I'm speaking to the students. Some of us are not on to Fortnite, but we need to turn off the electronics, the TV, open the Word. You get to know him better. Serve your family. Students, show up on Wednesday. Another wonderful opportunity for communion and fellowship and worship. That's what being a plotter is all about. And you learn to do the basics. In the end, you deepen your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ because that's, what's, that's really what it's all about. Now, let me give another application. This will move from the student section to all of us, and particularly some of us who are older. There's another farming, agricultural application that I see. I've been reading through the book of Joel in my quiet time. Anybody read through Joel recently? By the way, I, I, I saw this recently. What's the bossiest book in the Bible? What, which book has more commands per verses or words than any other book in the Bible? Take a guess. James. What's second to James? The book of Joel. And I want to say something because I, I saw this and I thought, Lord, does this fit in this illustration about being patient and plodding? Because 
What if you look back on your life and you see this experience? And there's some in this room, and that's exactly where you are. And you won't tell anybody, but you are churning inside because you feel it. And this was an incredible thing. This was an actual physical circumstance for Israel. It got this way because of a lack of faithfulness. But this was an invasion of locusts that devoured all of their harvest. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. And for some of you, you look back on your locust years. And you need to know you can't get those back. It might be that you've put in a lot of work and your work just didn't pan out like you thought it would. If you've experienced loss, and about all you've got to show for it is just disappointment. And it could be for some of you in this room, not a few, the loss of a loved one. Could be for some the loss of health. And in all of these things, you assumed you would be able to do what you always used to do, but now you have to find a new way to live with the discouraging reality that you can't live the way you used to live. Frankly, it could be for some in this room the Christless years that you spent selfishly or in rebellion where you've now been awakened late in life to the fact that those years have been devoured. And I mean by that some things that I said a minute ago about thank God for plotters. plotters. Maybe you didn't love your spouse like you should have. Maybe you didn't serve and lead your family in the way you should have. Maybe... You didn't work faithfully as you should have. By, by the way, for some of you younger ones, ask anyone who has become a follower of Christ later in life and to a person, they will tell you, oh, how I wish I had started following Christ earlier. I mentioned last week, that movie, Schindler's List, and at the very end of that movie, Oscar Schindler saying, I could have done more, breaking down and weeping, I could realizing that. But listen, Oscar Schindler was lost. And we ended the movie with him having no hope. Christian, take heart. God is in the restoration business. You cannot recover your lost years but He can restore them. That verse that I read last week and I underlined twice and I highlighted in yellow and I put a star beside, those are important verses in my Bible. I, God said, will restore to you the years that the swarming oak locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer 
and the cutter. All of them, folks, my great army whom I sent among you. You can't restore your lost years, your locust years, but he can. And look at what needs to happen to do that. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart. With fasting, weeping, with mourning. Those are just things that show the sincerity, the intensity of that. And rend your hearts and not your garments. That was a picture, rending your garment, tearing it. A picture of sincerity and deep sorrow. Rend your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent, leaving a blessing behind him. You are never too old. You are never too sinful. You are never too far from the gospel that Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and me was buried and raised on the third day and has ascended into heaven to make good that which he promises. And you can get a fresh start today, my friend. I said at the very beginning, the Christian life is not like a hundred-yard dash. It's a marathon. Anybody in here run a marathon? I have not. Do we, do we don't have any marathon runners. 20, 26 miles and how, 365 yards? That's a marathon. You think, wow, that's incredible. But I happened to look up some longer races than that because I thought, well, the Christian life is not like a marathon. It's like a, or not like a 100-yard dash. It's like a marathon. Folks, it's like other races. There are things called expedition races. Hundreds of miles through, for example, the Peruvian forest where the humidity is 100%. Sweating doesn't do you any good. 140-something miles, I think, unassisted, okay? Or here's another one, trekking over the, the North Pole or the Antarctic. Hundreds of miles there is actually an expedition race that is cross-country, over 3,000 miles cross-country in a certain number of days. And I thought, wow, maybe that comes closer to, to, to showing us what the Christian life is like. But no, here is the one expedition race that captures what we have been saying today. Do you know what it's called? It's called... The self-transcendence race. Now listen, it happens, I had no idea, it happens in Queens, New York, and you run around one city block, 3,100 miles in 52 Days. Do you understand how many miles a day that is? I did the, the math. 3,100 miles in 52 days running laps around the same city block. That's one 
108 mind-numbing laps around the same block every day for 52 days. Website says the serious athlete must have tremendous courage, stamina, concentration, and the ability to endure fatigue, boredom, and even injuries. And I thought, that is a picture of the patience that is manifest in the Christian life. Keeping after it, step by step, block by block, mile by mile, every day for the rest of your Christian life. Oh, Father, how I pray that you would help every one of us in this room take notes from farming and become plotters, not looking for fame, not looking for fortune, not looking for anything grandiose, but simply looking for you to say is our greatest reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. For those on the front end, Lord, that have followed Christ, I pray that they would commit to be those who will plod, who will do the unglamorous things and do them well. Keep them growing in Christ. For those who look back on a life that for whatever reason has been eaten by locusts, I pray that they would see today they can have a fresh start. That they would repent, turn away from self-effort and turn to you, trusting you for what only you can do, but working hard for the rest of their days. Father, for those who are not either one of these, but who are not yet followers of Christ, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. The mind would be open, the heart would be soft, that the the seed of the gospel would go into the soil of the heart. That person would repent of playing God and fighting God, would trust in Jesus Christ as the only Savior who died in their place and would start a new relationship with you. So, Father, help us in all of the decisions that we must make Enable us today, Lord, and we will thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to stand together. We're going to